Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Is a million pounds enough for you to retire on? After a series of scary surveys this Halloween week about the amount those of us with defined contribution pensions will need to save to fund our future retirement, Moira O'Neill from Interactive Investor is here to run the numbers. Have you ever heard of a susu? I hadn't, but my FT colleague Emma Adjumang had, and the topic came up at a recent FT Money event. She's here with me to reveal more details about the revival in this decades-old method of saving. And James Max is here to tell us all about his latest rich people's problem, the cost of getting a new puppy. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, personal finance editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. So that big question, how much is enough to fund your retirement? The answer could well be that you're not saving enough, as a host of recent studies have warned. The latest, the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries, says that those on average salaries need to save £800 per month into a pension to fund even a moderate retirement. And they note that this won't cover the cost of luxuries like theatre tickets or beauty treatments. Here to run the numbers is Moira O'Neill, Head of Personal Finance at Interactive Investor. Well, welcome to the podcast, Moira. Hi, Claire. So before we discuss the prospects of waxing off our own moustaches in later life, are most people aware of what they need to save? Um, no, most people are not aware of what they need to save. Um, Interactive Investor did a, a massive survey of 10,000 people, um, either pre or post retirement. And we asked them a whole range of questions about how they felt about that. Of course, we did ask the crucial question of, do you know what your household income is likely to be? And 57% of them uh, admitted they had no idea or or a, or just a very vague idea of what that might be now I mean I think lots of people don't know what their income's going to be, but lots of people don't know exactly what they've got saved up either because we see all sorts of stories about people losing touch with their pension pots and not keeping track of it and not having the time to to manage their finances either. Well, exactly. And the shift from so-called final salary pensions, where when you retired, you'd get a fixed amount like a salary every year until you died, um, you know, works like a salary. People can understand that. Yeah. It's income. But nowadays, if you've got a DC pot, like most of us had, you'll, gener you'll generate a lump sum and then you'll have to convert that into an income um, for later life, either by buying an annuity, which most people don't want to do because the rates are, you know, pretty horrific, or 
as you say in your article, investing it to produce, to throw off an annual income, um, drawdown plans um, commonly um, use this tactic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, final sal- those, those we surveyed who had the final salary schemes did say that, that they had a better idea of about what their income was going to be because obviously they get their regular communications from the pension providers and it does give them uh, an idea. Uh, it was those with, with the DC defined contribution pensions where they're investing for their future and they're taking on the risk of investing that weren't as sure about what the outcome was going to be. So run us through some scenarios of what defined contribution pots of different sizes could throw off every year investments. Well, um, well, I was looking at um, what kinds of sums you would need in that pot eventually to, to achieve a sustainable income. That's one which not is not likely to run out. And I chose um, a 3% income generated from the investments and, and also assumed that the investments were going to keep pace with inflation and be able to return that 3% income. And I also looked at a few um, organisations. You mentioned the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries Survey, but my uh, organisations that have told people what's the bare minimum that they're actually going to need to to retire on. My favourite, which has been going for years, is the Joseph Roundtree Foundation's minimum income standard. And I love this. It makes really scary reading because it talks about... um, sort of the minimum that you need to participate in society, which I think is quite a scary way of putting it. And by that, they mean you're going to have food, clothes and shelter, and then you can have a little bit extra to be able to socialise with people, whether it's um, going down the pub, um, maybe having a very, very modest type of annual holiday, etc. So that, that that minimum income standard um, um, in 2019 um, is a uh, for a single person is eighteen thousand eight hundred pounds per year, um, and that's what most people think is the minimum acceptable. And the lump sum. The scary lump sum that's, that would be needed to generate that type of income, according to my assumptions, would be £626,000, £666. Wow. I mean, that is a very big number. Now, one important caveat is that in that calculation, you haven't factored in the state pension. No, I didn't because I was writing the article thinking some people might want to retire early or have more flexibility. State pension age has been rising. Um, There are um, a lot of worries about what might happen to state pension. Um, I mean, people have Lots of people I speak to talk about the fund they've built up in state pension. That's through, gonna, through their national yeah, insurance contribution. But you don't have a personal fund. Um, there's, you, there's just a total national insurance fund, which um, is actually set to run out by 2032, according to the Government Actuaries Department. That's the surplus in it is set to run out. And your national insurance contributions are simply building up entitlements to whatever's on offer at retirement age, whatever the government decides is your retirement age later on. At the moment, you say you're going to end up with millennials paying for their grandparents' pensions. And so for those who can afford to, I say, treat any state pension as a bonus on top of what you're saving rather than the other way around. Well, some sobering advice there. But other calculations um, for beyond 
the minimum income um, standard say that you need to save quite a lot more than you say six hundred yes so there's been this this new one out um from the pensions and lifetime savings association now they've put together some new retirement living standards that they hoped would resonate with pension savers in the same way that um, when we're told to eat five fruit and vegetables a day, um, that's really got through to the national consciousness. And they say, so they've come up with these three figures. Um, they say for the comfortable lifestyle, the top end um, retirement lifestyle, that actually allows you to have some spontaneity with your money, have two foreign holidays a year. Um, as a single person, you'll need an income of £33,000 a year. Goodness and, me. And the lump sum to achieve that is £1.1 million. Pounds, wow. Which is quite sobering and quite scary for a lot of us who are trying to pay off our massive mortgages or get on the housing ladder or struggle with all the other financial worries that we have in our, in our day-to-day lives. Now, for people who are listening to the podcast thinking, oh, I'm never ever going to get... Um, to that level. Can you give them any positive um, takeaways to spur them into action? Well, our our great British retirement survey from Interactive Investor did find that um, a lot of people are not looking at this cliff edge of retirement. Um, A lot of people are aspiring to carry on working as long as they can, whether um, it's part-time or self-employed. And therefore, you may find that you're still generating income post a typical retirement age. So there's comfort could be taken there. And also some people who responded said, I'm looking forward to having time to manage my money. So when I scale back in retirement, I'll be able to do all the money saving thrifty stuff that I feel I don't have time for now. I'll be able to cut back my gas and energy bills. I'll be able to um, hunt out bargains. Um, So Spend more time stock picking. Basically, yes. Manage your investments better. So, and one thing um, that you did find as well that was the biggest regret um, of customers in their 60s and 70s answering the survey was... Not starting a pension sooner. <laughs> so there you yes. go. Any younger listeners on the podcast, there are lots of um, advice and tips in Moira's um, cover feature for FT Money um, this week. Is a million pounds enough to retire on? From Friday, you can read that online ft.com slash money or invest a few pounds into buying the edition of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. Now, the time has come to reveal what on earth a SUSU is and how it might be able to help you reach your savings goals. I'm joined by my colleague, the FT Money reporter, Emma Ajumang. Welcome, Emma. Hello, Claire. So tell us about how this FT Money event a couple of weeks ago came about. Um, So the event was called How Women Can Make the Most of Their Money and it was organised by us, the FT team, as well as with Black Ballad, which is a website um, aimed at black British women. And they'd said they'd approached us because they said that actually money was an interesting topic that their members had a lot more um, interest in and they had lots of disposable income, but they weren't quite sure what to do with it. Um, And so we decided to sort of look at that in this event. And the kind of things that women were saying at this event in terms of like why they weren't perhaps interacting with those you know big online wealth management money management brands was um well various things i mean there was an issue that some of the people in the room hadn't um heard so much about some of these robo so-called robo advisors and um, companies that allow you to start investing um you know with not 
particularly lots of money, but you can start investing um, and offer various tools. And unfortunately, despite there being a whole range of these, um, many of the people in the room, the marketing hadn't really resonated with them. They hadn't really sort of found out too much about them. So that was one issue. But the other thing which I found um, interesting, which brings us on to the point of the SUSU, mm. is that um, this was an event that um, rather unusually for the FT was was packed with mostly young black women. And um, one of the issues that came up was that some of these women felt more comfortable um, with community finance initiatives, one of which is the SUSU. So tell us more about the SUSU. Where did it originate from? Um, yeah, so it's it's a savings mechanism or a way of saving that's been around for, for decades, maybe even hundreds of years. It, it originated in West Africa. And um, basically what how it works is that a group of people get together. Um, they each decide to contribute a certain amount of money um, each week, usually, or month. Um, and they take turns sharing the pot that's been accumulated with each member each week. So let me just explain it, you know, break it down for people. Um, for example, let's say that there's 10 of us. We each decide to put in £100 a week um, in the first week, the first person to receive the hand or the the pot uh, receives £1,000 because that's the the £100 that everybody's put in. And then the next week, somebody else receives the hand. And at the end of the 10 weeks, everybody in um, the group has received exactly what they've put in. But the people who received the pot earlier have effectively had a loan and the people who received the pots right at the end have been saving that amount of money up. So it's a fairly simple um, idea, you know, a, a collective um, community investment scheme, if you like. But then you did some research after the event and found out that actually these kinds of, of, of saving schemes, whether it's called a, a SUSU or a partner, have transferred across communities. Um, yes. I mean, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, this is a, a, a way of saving that's existed for a very long time. Um, and actually... These days, it's actually moving digitally. So um, whereas before you usually had to be, you know, be in close proximity with people who were in your SUSU or partner, now you can use online banking, for example, to interact with people as long as you trust them. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, in the same location. And there are actually quite a, f- a few companies that are looking to sort of use that method um, and take it to a much wider audience, you know, sort of globally. And the actual origin of them being used in the UK, however, isn't such a great story for the financial services industry in Britain. Yes, that's true. Um, you know, the, the main reason why the SUSUs sort of really came to the UK um, was around the time of the Windrush generation coming to the UK from the Caribbean and, and also Africa um, and finding that, unfortunately, they weren't getting access to finance in, this, in the way that they needed on other communities were. And so as a way of um, building wealth, building assets, they turned to this method, as well as other things such as credit unions, um, which is another area that the Caribbean community pioneered in the UK. Absolutely fascinating. Well, there's lots more about this in your um, in your article. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, there's lots more about the history um, of that in um, the column that you wrote for us in FT Money. But finally... What other lessons um, could the SUSU methods offer today's savers? 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And um, one thing that struck me listening to the conversation at the event is that um, people enjoy having human interaction when building wealth. And this is the kind of um, the reason why SUSUs remain popular. And I think that's something that that the financial services industry, particularly robo-advisors, might want to think about the fact that people actually like some form of human interaction. They like to talk about their goals. They do. And have others involved in the saving scheme so they can keep on track and yeah, all and be working towards. Exactly, stay accountable. And then the other thing is that there's, you know, there's quite a big demand um, from black and other ethnic minority um, communities for managing money services. And I think that, you know, that's something that the financial services industry as a whole needs to do better at because unfortunately some of these women weren't really very aware um, that of, of what they were offering so they need to get better at, at communicating them. Well thanks very much there to Emma Ajumang, FT Money reporter. You can read Emma's column which is called Susu's Hold a Lesson for the Future online now at ft.com slash money. Now finally it's time to talk about mad dogs and Englishmen or dogs and mad Englishmen. James Max has raised an eyebrow in the studio and is looking inquisitively um, at me, but he's here to talk about his latest... Well, rich I am pe- at the moment. <laughs> he's here to talk about his latest rich people's problem. Why did I buy a puppy? So, James, why? Why? Well, look, it, it wasn't really my idea. Let's be honest. Uh, there was a lot of pressure from the other third. Uh, and as I correctly say in here, uh, I'm too fat for the other half to be called the other half. They're called the other third, if anybody wonders. So the other third said, really want to get a puppy. My uh, sister's uh, dog is having a litter. And the first time around, there was like prevarication. And I said, are you sure? And they said, yeah, we're sure. And da, da, da. Anyway, so the second litter came along and uh, and of course they went to meet the dog and that's that's the killer. Once you've met the puppy and you sent the pictures of the puppy and then you meet the puppy, it's coming home with you, isn't it? Well, we did use a picture um, of the new addition to your family in the article and I have to say he is very cute and I'm not a dog person. Yes, it would appear as if some of the comments are also not from dog people either. Um, uh, yeah, look, I, puppies are cute. It's amazing, and I'd forgotten, because I think you eradicated. It's like um, anybody who's been through a severe trauma in the life, their life, they, they will put it out of their minds. Um, and then should they have to go through it again, they'll they'll have to relive it all over again. Because it's a nearly long time. Barnaby, who's my dog, um, is going to be 12 in January. And it's a long time since Barnaby arrived. Uh, I still remember how to do the puppy training and the things and the regularity and all the rest of it. And actually, this time around, because Stanley, who's a new one, he's a Cocker Spaniel, they are much easier to train. I remember when I got Barnaby and everybody said, this hound that you got, lovely, but very, very difficult to train. Whereas Stanley, he's, he's, here we are a few weeks in, he's quite good. He sits. He will go outside to do his business. He can be put on a lead and not go completely mad. Um, he is quite good with socialising with people. And uh, and he hasn't killed my other dog yet. So this is quite good. <laughs> and nor, like the other dog, um, has he ruined your wooden kitchen floor, which you had to spend thousands on um, replacing, or eaten your Balenciagas? Well... The Balenciagas, I learnt my lesson. So anything that you don't want to have uh, eaten, you put away in a cupboard that you can't get to. And the second lesson that I've learnt is that if you're going to uh, have a dog, you know, and a dog floor, don't use it on the wooden floor. I mean, don't allow him on the wooden floor very often because, you know, because you've got to pick it up immediately, otherwise it seeps through. So where he is, 
Lino. <laughs> That's the answer, Lino. There it's, you have it. There you have it. Breaking but, news, James Max has Lino in his house. And th- listen, there are posh formers of Lino, which actually look very smart, might I say. Well, before we get into those, lots of the comments um, on your uh, column, there are always very many. I think people spend a longer time reading the comments sometimes than the article. But anyway, lots of readers said... They'd be said, well advised to. <laughs> lots of readers said that pet insurance, they agreed with you, is a rip-off. Yeah, look. There, there are always financial uh, implications. There's always a thread of, of something sensible that we try and talk about in, in this column, which is, first of all, you know, anybody who says, oh, if you have to do this, then you can't be rich. Rich is a pejorative term. And I guess that's one of the things that we're trying to get across is that um, you will nearly always not consider yourself as rich. But the person who's got a bit more than you or a bit more money, they're rich. Uh, and, and people up the scale, they're rich, you're not. So this is kind of one of those uh, discussions as well. I don't consider myself rich. I dare say to uh, those who are, are, you know, less well off across the world and living under tents or something, I probably am. Uh, but Well, to me you are, and okay. I came up with a name for your column. Uh, there you go, you see? And that's, <laughs> that's why we're all in our relative positions. So, look, I, I think one of the things which is really important about all of this is trying to understand that there are financial implications of everything you do. And um, as my vet said to me, he said, you would probably be better off if you took the money that they're going to ask you for your uh, dog insurance um, and put that into a bank account. You will probably end up net plus plus uh, if you do that. But the point is that these things, you never quite know when they're going to happen. And there are certain benefits for just paying that regular thing. Because when you have a vet's bill, and I have had a few in my time, like, for example, Barnaby, the Bassett Fove, had a double hernia and he had his knackers chopped off. All of that uh, cost, in the end, about 6,000 quid. Um, have I paid £6,000 over the years? Yes, I probably have in, in all the various you know parts of the insurance. But just having that bill at once, do you really want to have that when you know there's a new pair of Balenciagas and a holiday and a various other things you want to do? No. So insurance is probably the way to do it. If we, if we had a sort of collective way of self-insurance, you know, it, it's, it's a product. But yes, it's very expensive. The other thing you need to know about insurance, after year eight they start to really ramp up the premiums. And don't think that you can go shopping around to try and reduce your premium, because yes, you can reduce it, but you'll find that there are a whole load of things which are excluded. So pick your provider carefully right at the beginning, and you are probably better off, sadly, sticking with them. Remonstrate with them, try and get reductions, but try not to move your premium to somewhere else, uh, because otherwise anything and everything will be excluded. Now, another thing that you touched on in the column is the ability to spend huge amounts of money on um, treats and toys. Oh, yes. Uh, Limitless. Yes. You know, many, many things. Now, one um, of the FT.com commenters is called Pink. Um, he says, get him a Kong. My Labrador went through 20 of them. What's a Kong? Um, a Kong. Now, a Barnaby has been a, a long-term uh, Kong fan. And a Kong is a piece of very resilient rubber. And they come in various different forms and you can get them with ropes on that you can throw. But this resilient rubber, they can chew and chew and chew. And it's quite good for their teeth and it doesn't shred or shard or anything. It's really difficult to destroy, to be honest. And you can also get baby Kongs. Um, so, so Stanley has a baby Kong and you can either fill them with biscuits or bits and pieces or there's Kong filth and Kong filth comes in a in a sort of tube and it's like it's various different flavors it's probably terrible I don't know they love it and they spend hours licking this stuff out of your Kong (laughs) (laughs) it sounds so wrong but oh it sounds so good and the other thing is that if they're doing Kong action 
and uh, there's a certain amount of eating or whatever it is out there. The noise that comes out of it is extraordinary. And, and anybody around, or if you're on the phone or something, and there's sort of Kong action going on, they will wonder what on earth is going on in your life. The levels of amusement are just multi-layered. Well, one, one of the many advantages um, of having a dog, you say, is, is of course, you know, this, it makes, you, makes your life better. But you haven't been the only one buying presents for your dog. Um, a very amusing comment on the website from Scotchman. Uh, James, you appear to be in your 40s or maybe 50s. Let's take the first one, 40s. Look, the guarantee column, help, I'm 50, is coming next year, all right? 2020, 50. Although, uh, consolation is, the mum that he mentions... Uh, she's going to be 80. <gasps> oh, the Wendy. Uh, anyway, uh, your mum has just stopped a trolley for your dog. Yes, she has. I can relate. My 77-year-old mother, he says, just delivered Halloween pumpkins and an envelope full of magazine clippings. I wonder if we should form a support group for overwatered middle-aged boys. I think so. The thing is, with these elderly parents or, or older parents being so able, and they love bringing around a gift and doing a holiday and all sorts of things. But it does mean that one is overwatered. Well, Doc Biz, um, another commenter, said um, the FT is tarnished by this series. And you replied. Uh, Yes, there's always one, isn't there? Uh, Actually, there's more than one. So perhaps this is a good one. I don't know. Look, a lot of people feel that it divides opinion, doesn't it? Some people look at it and it's just utter dross. And other people, they like it and they get it. And Mr. Gell says, I didn't bother to read past the title. Why is the FT subjecting its readers to this tosh? And you replied... Um, and you made it to the comments section without even reading it. Who are you? Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> well, that did amuse um, many of the readers. And then finally, Banksy um, said that he didn't like dogs. A Bengal cat um, does the job just as smart as a dog and much cleaner. And yeah, I replied, yeah, but it's a cat. I mean, look, it's <laughs> it's a cat. I'm just going to leave you with one comment here because I think science wins. This is my favourite. It says, love dogs and James Max's tales. Keep them coming. Oh, very oh. good. I love a pun. Well, thank you very much there to James Max. If you have a problem that you would like James Max to investigate, you can email him richpeoplesproblems, no apostrophe, at ft.com, and he will come back to join us on the podcast next month. That's it, I'm afraid, for The Money Show this week. If you want to get in touch with one of our financial experts, you can email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ftmoney for the latest news headlines. We will be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.